This is the Life Truth Network. On October the 2nd, 2016, I was ordained to preach the gospel. The first minister to lay on hands was my father. He gave me two principles. Preach the truth and love your people. With those principles in mind, I preach the word. I'm Nathan Caldwell, and this is Protectors of the Book. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, we come to you today, we ask your forgiveness where we failed you. Strengthen us, strengthen me as I preach this message. Have your will in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone dies an extremely honorable death, they'll often have a, a memorial service for them. And they will talk about, uh, you know, how brave the, the, the gentleman was or how noble he was or how good he was. But then it comes the question of what about the one who died for our sins? To give us eternal life. To free us from this, this bondage that, that every single man born on the face of this planet has. This bondage of sin. To give us eternal life. Now someone would say, and in a sense they'd be right to say, that the memorial is the Lord's Supper. After all, did the Lord not say... As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me or in memory of me. And, and yes, that's right. But if that memorial is the only one we're giving to Jesus Christ, we're wrong. I'll say that again. If the Lord's Supper is the only memorial that we're giving to Jesus Christ, we are in the wrong. Jesus, God, has given us mercy. And as we look at verse 1, He says, I beseech you, I, I plead with you, brethren, He's talking to saved people, people who have trusted Jesus Christ like ourselves. And then he says, by the mercies of God. So someone said, you know, so he says, I am pleading with you to do something. And the reason I want you to do it is because you need to remember the mercies God has given you. Or us. God has given us mercy. Story has been told of a mother who sought from Napoleon the pardon of her son. 
The emperor said it was the man's second offense and justice demanded his death. I don't ask for justice, said the mother. I plead for mercy. Sir? I say, but, said the emperor, he does not deserve mercy. Sir, cried the mother, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask. Well then, said the emperor, I will show mercy. And her son was saved. Mercy is not deserved. As a matter of fact, mercy when given is the opposite. Because what mercy is, is not receiving the what we would consider bad or pain that you do deserve. That's mercy. We were given mercy. What did we deserve? Well, according to... When we talk about deserve, think about what we earn, right? What I deserve is what I have earned for myself. That is what I deserve. And... Romans chapter 6 verse 3 says the wages of sin, which by the way is the only thing a person without Jesus Christ can earn is sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But let's go back to these wages again. The wages of sin is death. And we're not just talking about physical death, although I guarantee you that is part of it. And we've seen that recently. But it goes farther than that. It goes worse than that. Those who do not receive Christ as Savior have to face their wages of sin, which is eternal death, death in hell, the lake of fire, torturous, terrible death, and separated from God forever. That's what we deserved. But God commended or showed, God showed His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5. While I was still in my sin, Jesus died for me. It's really easy to say, I love my family, I died for them. What about that guy on the street corner begging for money? And let's add an odor to it just to be safe. A smelly, grummy, grimy, grimy guy on the street corner asking for money and he's rude on top of that. Would you die for him? Well, I don't know. Yeah, think about this. We were worse than that in the eyes of God. And Jesus died for each and every one of us. Now that's cool. That's awesome. And that is the mercy that we've been given. So when Paul says, I'm I'm, I'm pleading with you to do this, that's what he's basing his plea on. It's like, I want you to know that I am basing my plea. The reason you should do this is because... Of God's mercy, His abundant mercy, His 
phenomenal mercy that He's been given. Or that He has given us. That we have been given from Him. Says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So let's talk about being a living sacrifice for a moment. Did you know that everything we have, everything we are, everything we think, you name, belongs to God and should be. At his disposal. Sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Jesus purchased us with his blood. In 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20, Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, in which is in you? which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's saying you, if you are a child of God, were bought with a price. Same with me. We are not our own. And then he says, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He doesn't say that just the spirit is God's. He says your body and your spirit belongs. To God. Why? Because He purchased them. They are His property now. And as a Christian, if I do not surrender everything I am to Jesus Christ, I'm stealing from God. A living sacrifice. This is holy. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If Jesus died for us, we should be willing to live for Him. Paul says that's only reasonable. It's only reasonable. It's only reasonable that when I buy a a device from a store that the device worked. Jesus bought me. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we hear, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, as is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then in verse 10, he says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that God foreordained that we should walk in those good works. I'm paraphrasing just a little bit. But, he's, but the whole point is, when He bought us, He bought us, He bought us. I didn't buy myself. I didn't help pay for it. He did it. But now He expects me to, to work 
Just like the phone that I buy at AT and T, I expect it to work. Well, Jesus expects me to work. Jesus expects me to do what He designed me to do, and He designed me to glorify and serve Him. He says, Paul says that's your reasonable service. It's only reasonable. But then he says in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world change you. Don't fit in their mold. Don't conform. That means don't let them mold you into what they want. I like the expression of a boat. Boat goes into water. The water don't go into boat. I am to go into the world, but I'm not supposed to let the world into me. The attitudes and actions of the world must be not mine. <laughs> that, that's so not grammatically correct, but you get what I'm saying. Not mine. God's attitude, His Word of God, His truth, His attitude, that's mine. That's mine. He says, don't be conformed to the world. He says, be transformed, changed, different by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. Our mind needs to be renewed. I think it probably needs to be renewed more than once. I think it probably needs to be renewed over and over and over again. Kind of like you renew a library book. Well, God's not done with me yet. I better renew my mind. I just call that plain old attitude check, really. Just an attitude check. Our minds should be on the things of God. We should have the correct attitudes for service to God. Our thinking should be different. And I know sometimes it's hard. That's why we've got to pray that God helps us. But when we come to church... And hopefully that's the case. When we come to church, we're like, hey, I get to go to church. Not, oh, I got to go to church. I get to do this. Not, I got to do this. You know, you, get, you see the difference, don't you? There's a lot of servants out there going, well, I got to do this. When God wants us to say, no, I get to do this. That's one thing. It's... There are some services that are really hard that we have to attitude check and there are others that are really easy that God has called us to do and we enjoy. But you know what? He wants us 
to be that way in all of it. He wants us to be different in our thinking. How are we different in our thinking? Well, Paul had a good one when he talked to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, verse 8, he said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. No filth. We shouldn't be thinking about filth. We shouldn't be thinking of the world's points of view. Or at least we shouldn't be agreeing with them. Sometimes you've got to think about them to debate them from time to time. We're supposed to think about what is holy. Think about the things that are a good report. The things that are praiseworthy. And you know something? If you ever find yourself down in the dumps, I kid you not, start numbering your blessings. When I say, I don't say count because that's, it's, we, don't, we say that all the time and we kind of glaze over it. No, no, no. Number your blessings. Take each specific blessing God has given you and assign it a number. The number will climb quite high, quite fast. See, a lot of times we say, oh, I, I, I'm blessed with my family. Well, that's great, but that's more than one blessing. I'm blessed with my mom, I'm blessed with my dad, I'm blessed with my sister, I'm blessed with one, two nephews. I've got, you know, so many aunts, so many uncles. How, I mean, that's count, that's, you, you lose count right there. You start numbering all of those and assigning numbers to them, something inside your head is going to change. Because your bad mood is no longer all that bad. Why? Because you were thinking on things of good report, thinking on things that were worthy of praise, virtuous things. Think about the Bible. Think about songs of praise that are good songs, not. You know, scriptural songs. And then he says this. He says, I want you to renew your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove. You know, when I think of prove, I think I'm going to prove this to you. I'm going to, right? That's usually what what we think of. We're like, well, I'm going to show you proof. I'm going to Google it right now and I'm going to, you know, we think that's what we think of when we think of proof. That's not what it's talking about. When he says that you may prove, what he's actually saying is that you may test. That you may find out by your own experience that this is true. He's saying, I want you to do this so you can see that it works in your life. You're not proving it to another person, although theoretically you could easily end the same process. You're proving it to yourself. You're proving it to yourself so that you remember next time that God is 
worthy to be praised. That God is able to take care of me. And that He wants to use me. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. With our attitudes in check, we can finish what God has for us to do. The word perfect often means completed. But it's not perfect a lot of times. We say perfect. I perfected this process. I've completed it. I've made it work. I will never be flawless until I get to heaven. But I can be perfect. I can be complete. I can complete whatever He wants me to accomplish. Whatever He wants me to be. I can be that. Because He would not ask it of me if I couldn't. I can accomplish the will of God if I do what He asks me to do. And trust Him to do it through me. We hear a lot that God wants nothing less than our best. And we think, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> you know, God has, He wants nothing less than my best. And that's true, I guess. But when I say God wants nothing less than my best, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say God wants nothing less than my best, that means what I'm saying is I better be working my best for God because He wants nothing less. Nothing less than my absolute best. As we continue with this day, I think we need to remember that Yeah, the Lord's Supper is a memorial. As a matter of fact, after lunch, we're going to have that memorial today for church members. But that's not the only memorial. Because the ultimate memorial to Jesus Christ should be our lives.